Let's turn our attention here this morning to the content that we have, the message here. I want to read you a quote by late uh, theologian and pastor John Stott. He says this, one of the greatest paradoxes in Christian history is that the church is most pure in times of cultural hostility. When things are easy and good, that is when the church most often goes astray. When Christianity seems identical with the culture and even when the church seems to be enjoying its greatest earthly success, then it is weakest. Conversely, when the church encounters hardship, persecution, and suffering, then it is closest to its crucified Lord, then there are fewer hypocrites and nominal believers among its members, and then the faith of Christians burns most intensely. You'll see behind me a picture of a man named uh, Samuel Lamb. Pastor Samuel Lamb was a Protestant pastor in mainland China up until his death in 2013. He was born in 1924. He was a son of a Baptist preacher, and, and Pastor Lamb preached his first sermon at the age of 19 at his father's church. It was about 12 years later when he experienced his first imprisonment as a result of his faith. When he was 31, his first prison sentence was 18 months. And a few months after his release, he was imprisoned again, this time for 21 years as a result of his faith. He spent 21 years in an imprisoned labor camp, largely serving as a coal miner, sometimes as a farmer or a worker. And a year before he was released, he was released in 1978, a year before he was released in 1977, his wife passed and he wasn't able to attend her funeral. He wasn't able to, to be with her during her last few days here on this earth because he was finishing his sentence. He was released, like I said, in 1978, and after he was released, he became kind of a central hub for missionaries in mainline China, as well as people who wanted to do mission work there. They wanted to learn what it was like from Pastor Lamb about serving the Lord in a place where there was such opposition. And one missionary noted that Samuel Lamb told him this. In America, the church has experienced prosperity and is growing weaker. In China, the church has experienced persecution and is growing stronger. Persecution is much better than prosperity. He became known for one of his catchphrases. He would often say that persecu more persecution is more growth. And that was something that a lot of people began to associate with the ministry and work of Pastor Lamb. And he famously told new believers and newcomers to his church that we must be prepared to suffer. We must be prepared for the fact that we may be arrested. Before I was sent to prison, I already had a bag with some clothes, shoes, and a toothbrush packed. When I had to go to the police station, I just went and picked it up. I was ready. Now, I could be wrong, but my guess is if every week when you showed up to church, we said, all right, guys, we got to be prepared to suffer, you might find a different church in not too long. That that message is not one, one that's preached very often and two that's not very welcomed in the life of a lot of believers. And yet, Pastor Samuel Lamb, as well as so many other people across time and history, have seen the benefit of persecution in the life of a believer. And I know that that statement might feel like, wait a second, how do those two things go together? We're gonna explore that here this morning, but Pastor Lamb's church before he, or right after he was imprisoned was a few hundred people. Within a few years, it had grown to 5,000. And by the time of his death in 2013, 30,000 people showed up at his memorial service to give honor and praise for the work that God has done through this man in preaching the gospel in such a hostile place. When I read stories like Pastor Lamb's or I come across statements like John Stott, like there's something in me that's like, how do you say that so confidently? 
How do you live that out in your life? I don't know if you've maybe read a book called Victor. It's by a man named Victor Frankl, A Man's Search for Meaning. It's, it's, it seems like it's fake. It's this man who was in a Nazi imprisonment camp. He was actually in Auschwitz and he was a clinical psychologist and he had the ability to somehow like separate himself from the trauma that he was experiencing and he writes about it. And one of the things that he says is that Christians were always the first people to die in these camps because they were the ones who were willingly choosing to give up their food, to give up their rations and to give their water and they would do so with joy. And I come across these stories and I ask myself, how is that possible? How is that possible? Because it seems as if that sort of mindset tends to be so absent sometimes from my own faith and certainly from the faith at large between the church that I often witness and see. And so my hope today is we're gonna look at three verses found in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter five. And my hope is by the time that we're done, you can begin to understand in your own life how persecution might be something that instead of running from, we welcome in our life. That instead of doing our best to mitigate it and get as far away from it as is physically possible, we understand that there is a purpose that the Lord has set before us and that good fruit and good works will be produced as a byproduct. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five is the start of the Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of where we've been at uh, for the last few months. We've been in these first 12 verses called the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount at large, Matthew five, six, and seven, is Jesus's longest recording teaching in all of the scripture. And we've made the case that this is his kind of manifesto. This is his opportunity to tell his, his followers exactly what it would look like to follow him. What it would look like for them to live for the kingdom of God and not for the kingdom of this world. And it opens with this opening monologue called the Beatitudes. And that's what we're going to look at, the last three verses of the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes, there's these nine blessed statements that we've covered. Things like, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we've tried to make the case that this word blessed isn't what we often think of, because I think our, our general perception of blessing is something in our life that makes it a lot easier. A lot easier to kind of walk through. But, but this invitation into blessedness that Jesus gives here in Matthew chapter five isn't that sort of blessing. We've made the argument based on some research done by Dr. Jonathan Pennington that this word blessedness should uh, maybe be better understood as the word thriving. That thriving are those who are poor in spirit. It's an invitation into living the life and life abundant that Jesus promised that he would give in John chapter 10, verse 10. So let's look at these three verses in Matthew chapter five at the end of the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say falsely all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I don't know about you, but as I'm reading through the Beatitudes, this certainly is the one that has the most like oxymoronic tension to me. They're like, hold on, blessedness and persecution seem to be about as far apart as is physically possible on a spectrum. And yet here, Jesus puts them side by side. And he says, no, 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 blessed are those who are persecuted. So my hope, my goal here this morning is, is that we would begin to reorient the way that we would see persecution and hardship and suffering for the sake of Christ. And rather than say, this has no place in my life, when it shows up, because it will, 
we understand how we should respond and we look to the Lord and his promises for what will be produced in our life as a result. Would you join me in prayer and, and we'll take a look at, at three points here this morning. Lord, uh, we give you this time. We give you this time. And I just thank you so much for your scriptures. God, thank you for giving us your word that you not only called us to yourself, but in the scriptures, you've given us a book that tells us more about who you are, about your goodness and your grace. And Lord, that it, it often is a source of such encouragement and knowledge and understanding when we come to such pivotal and difficult situations in our life. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be changed today. I pray, God, that uh, we would begin to, to see the, the benefit and value of things that are so difficult and uncomfortable in our life. And I thank you for men and women like Pastor Lamb who have suffered for the sake of the gospel. God, who have undergone persecution that we will never begin to understand. But most of all, I thank you for your son Jesus who endured the heaviest form of persecution and suffering. And that through that, God, we were reconciled back to you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So point number one in this attempt to reorient our mind around some of this persecution is this. As Christians, we will face persecution and suffering. Let me read that again. Point number one for us to understand is that as Christians, we will face persecution and suffering. This is just a given. It's, it's absolutely a part of what it means to sign up to follow Jesus. And this word persecution can, I think, be a little bit hard sometimes to wrestle with because it's so vast in what it might mean and some of the ways it might show up in our life. So generally speaking, for the conversation here this morning, persecution is going to be any suffering that you endure for the sake of Christ. Any form of suffering that you endure for the sake of Christ, we're going to be considering persecution here this morning. And sake of Christ, kind of the end of that statement is going to be really important. We'll get into that in just a moment. In verse 11, we see a few examples of what persecution might look like. Verse 11 says, blessed are you when people insult you. That might be a form of what persecution looks like in your life. Blessed are you when they persecute you and blessed are you when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So here in 11, we see two different forms of persecution. We see insults and we see false accusations, but those are far from the only ways persecution can show up in our life. Often when we think of persecution, I think it tends to be of some of the more extreme examples, like Pastor Lamb endured, these sort of stripping away of freedoms, being thrown in prison, being beaten, being martyred, and the scriptures are full of examples of that reality as well. And luckily, we live in a place and a time right now where rarely do we have to fear undergoing those extreme physical forms of persecution. And that should be something that we are grateful for. Now, I'm not trying to say that we haven't seen an increase and in some pushback and opposition towards the Christian faith, because I think if you would say that, you, you might not be paying attention to what's happening globally in the Christian world. But here in Missoula, Montana, we don't have to face that sort of persecution often, if ever. However, that doesn't mean that we don't face persecution in our daily lives nonetheless. And so here are a few examples of some forms of persecution, certainly not the extreme forms of physical persecution, but real forms of persecution that believers face here today. Maybe if you're in high school, you're a young adult, you're in college, you're just out of college, I think one of the most common ones is you're hanging out with a group of friends and you're seeing that they're participating and living in a way that is counter to the calling of Christ. They're going out and they're getting drunk. 
They're doing drugs. They're sleeping around, right? And, and you abstain from that. And as a result of saying, you know what? I know that this is not what the Lord calls me to. You endure insults. You're not invited into things. Relationships are broken and you're kind of left by the wayside. That's a real form of persecution that you would endure for the sake of Christ. We have a lot of young families, as I said in here. And parenting is one way in which we can see persecution show up in our life. That you have to make so many decisions about what your kid's gonna watch, what they're gonna listen to, what sort of electronic devices they're gonna have access to, when they're gonna have access to those electronic devices. And you might set up safeguards that other kids don't have in their life. And as a result, you as a parent might be mocked or ridiculed by family members, or your child might be mocked or ridiculed as a result of some of your decisions. Those are real forms of persecution and suffering for the sake of Christ. And lastly, that we might have some convictional stances as followers of Jesus on really hot button topics that have all of a sudden been just claimed in the world of politics, but that the scriptures don't speak of them as a Republican or Democrat perspective, but they speak of them as a kingdom of God perspective. And so something like abortion and your stance on that, something like marriage and your stance on that might endure real persecution as a result. One message is abundantly clear when you look at persecution in scripture. And that message is that you as a Christian will face it in your life. Over and over again, we see that this is true. There are over 40 verses in this whole of the Bible that talk about it. A majority of them are in the New Testament. And I just wanna read a few of them for you. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12. This is Paul writing to his protege, Timothy. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, need we say more? He's pretty clear that if you intend to live a life following Jesus, you have to expect and understand that persecution will follow. Those two things go hand in hand. First Peter chapter four, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The book of 1 Peter is wrought with examples of what we as Christians should do in the face of persecution. And I love this verse because he's like, yeah, you're enduring hardship, but don't, don't be surprised by that as if something strange is being injected into your life. This is the normative experience for followers of Jesus. Why? Why is it that we might experience this persecution? Let's look at Jesus's words in John 15. If the world hates you, he says, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of this world. And that is why it hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. The reason why we experience persecution in a different capacity than other people is because we are no longer of this world. That the moment that you say, Lord, I believe in you, something divine but real happens. And that you are no longer a citizen of this world, but you are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. And as a result of that, you are a stranger and a foreigner to this world, that this place is not our home, that we have a longing deep within our soul for what we will truly experience in the eternal rest that we will experience with Jesus Christ. 
but that now in this present day, we live as foreigners and strangers here in this world. And as a result, the world doesn't know what to do with us. First Peter chapter four, verse four, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. That as we make decisions that are countercultural for the sake of Christ, there is something that happens often in the life of someone who does not profess Jesus. And the default response tends to be, what are you doing? Mocking and ridiculing. Because I believe that there's something deep within all of us that we would understand that we were created for something more. And when we would see someone living that out, there's something that happens in us, that people would understand that there's something different here. And that difference often results in persecution. That we as followers of Jesus should understand that we are set apart, that we are called to be righteous and holy. That's what that word holy means, to be set apart for the sake of Christ. It does not mean that we think that we are superior to anyone or that we are better than anyone. It means that we follow the ways of someone that we believe knows what is best. And as we seek him and as we walk in obedience to him, we must understand that we will face persecution. And this is so critical to start with because if we don't understand this component, every time that we see hardship or persecution show up in our life, we will do everything within our power to get rid of it rather than embrace it. Because as we'll see, once we embrace the reality that persecution is a normative experience in our life, we can begin to give it to the Lord and have him yield good fruit and produce in us something beautiful that cannot be produced anywhere else. So point one here in our attempt of reorienting our mind around persecution is that as Christians, we must expect that we should suffer for the sake of Christ. I told you that for the sake of Christ is gonna be important. And I just wanna make a brief note on that. That in verse 10, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. In other words, there's a difference between enduring hostility and hardship because of our faith or because we're just kind of being jerks. Those are not the same thing at all. John Chrysostom, who was a, a archbishop of Constantinople in the early 400 ADs, you know I gotta get my like nerd history pieces in there when I can, so that's yours for this morning. He has this to say on this very verse. He said, lest you should think that the mere face of being evil spoken of makes men blessed, Christ has set two limitations. In other words, he's saying, lest you think that just someone insulting you means that you're blessed, Christ has given us two caveats to that. First, he says that it is for his sake. And second is when the things that are said about you are false. Without these, he who is evil spoken of so far from being blessed is miserable. That when we experience opposition and insults and persecution and hardships and trial in our life, we must first ask ourselves the question, am I experiencing this in my life as a result of my faith or in spite of my faith? Am I experiencing this because I am living in obedience to the calling of Jesus or am I experiencing this because I'm being a hypocrite? Because those two things are not the same. That persecution, in order for it to be an invitation into a life of blessedness, must first come for living for the sake of the kingdom of God and what Christ has called us to. 
First Peter chapter two, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before the Lord. Peter emphasizes this same reality, that of what value is it that we undergo hardship and persecution in our life for not following the ways of Jesus? It is only when we are conscious of the Lord and what he is calling us into that we would see this invitation into blessedness through persecution and suffering happen. So point one, we should expect persecution and suffering in our life. Point two, persecution and suffering produce growth. Point one would be that we should expect it to happen in our life. And once we expect it and once we understand it and once we can receive it, we see that in persecution and suffering, there is a maturity and a growing in our faith that does not happen anywhere else. As we talk about suffering, I wanna make a quick note on this as well. I know that this word of suffering is really delicate and it's really tender. And the theology of suffering is a much bigger conversation than we can stand to get into this morning. But I wanna make a, just one kind of mark to distinguish this word of suffering. In our conversation this morning, we're talking about suffering and enduring for the sake of Christ, that we would experience something as a result of our faith. That's one form of suffering and the suffering that we're talking about here this morning. And then there's another form of suffering that is not unique to Christians. And it's a suffering that's just part of the human experience. That death and illness and tragedy, it has no rhyme or reason for when and who it strikes. There's no rhyme or reason for who gets a cancer diagnosis and who doesn't, who gets in remission and then it comes back. There's no rhyme or reason for that. And there are so many moments in our life that are marked by suffering. Again, I wish that we could take a bunch of time here and go more in depth about that because this sort of tension and question that it would produce about why would God allow good things to happen or bad things to happen to good people. And, and there's a lot to be said in the scripture about that. But I think the thing I wanna communicate most clearly is that suffering is a result of living in a fallen and broken world. That as you read throughout the scope of scripture, not only do we see that sin has marred humanity, but we see that sin has marred the world itself that there is something at the core of existence that is now fundamentally shifted as a result of sin entering the equation. And as a result, there's no, again, equation or way to predict when tragedy strikes in our life. And if you're experiencing a season of suffering in that capacity right now, my, my plea to you would be, please reach out. Do not suffer alone. You do not have to suffer alone. We would love to sit down with you, to pray with you, to weep with you, to process with you. We have resources for counselors in this community. Life is hard enough as it is, lest we to try to think we need to suffer in isolation by ourselves. But for the sake of our conversation this morning, when we say suffering, what we're talking about is enduring hardship and suffering specifically as a result of our faith. I think we can often make the the mistake of believing that when we say yes to Jesus, that actually what we're signing up for is a life of bliss, a life where everything else is just gonna go right, like things are just gonna work themselves out. And anyone who's followed Jesus for any duration of time has a smile on their face or is laughing inside because it's like, <laughs> that's so far from the truth. And I hate to burst your bubble, but scripture would actually tell us as you say yes to Jesus, 
there's a higher degree of sacrifice and suffering that's going to enter your life. That Christ would tell us that we must pick up our cross and follow him, that that's what it would look like to be his disciple. Not just rest and put your feet up because everything in your life is gonna be super easy. So if we go into this life of following Jesus expecting uh, just bliss and comfort, we will be so rudely awakened. And I mourn and grieve at how many people I have seen get a glimpse of the goodness of Jesus and then tragedy or hardship or trials or persecution hits their life and they're like, I don't want anything to do with this. This isn't what I signed up for. And that's a, that's a failure on our part as pastors, as leaders, as preachers of the gospel to somehow present the gospel in a form that does not include the hardship that you sign up for in saying yes to Jesus. I know that this might not be like the most feel-good message that you've ever heard, but man, I don't know of a more important reality that we need to understand today, that there are going to be times of difficulty and persecution and hardship show up in our life. And as we learn to see them as a normative experience and as we learn to accept them in our life, we will see that through persecution and through suffering, there is growth and maturity developed in us. Romans chapter five, verse three. Not only so, but we also rejoice and glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In James chapter one, James writes something similar, that, that as we undergo persecution and hardships and trials of different sorts, we see perseverance be developed in us. And James says that hardships and perseverance and persecution would result in maturity and leave us lacking nothing. That I don't know why it works this way, but there seems to be something unique about undergoing hardships and persecutions and trials in the life of a believer that would lead us to growth in our faith and trust in the Lord. That there is some sort of fertile soil that exists here that doesn't exist anywhere else and that's not replicable in other places that it is only through persecution and hardships and suffering that we would see growth begin to take shape in our life in our faith as a result of placing our faith in Jesus. And I think a hard reality that some of us need to reckon with this morning is that we might have reached a place in our faith where we feel as if it's stagnant, or we feel like we've kind of plateaued, or we're not growing, or there's not a ton of maturity being produced in us. And there might be a hard reality check that as we examine our life, it's because anytime we encounter opposition, we fold over and over again. That we don't give our faith a chance to be strengthened and persevere and endure. This is no different than so many other areas of our life. If you've ever lifted a weight in your life, you know that how muscle is formed is through resistance training. That you need to progress more and more in the weights in order to continue to build strength because there is something about growth that happens when there is opposition. I'm a, I used to be a musician uh, and I used to play the guitar. And if you've ever played the guitar, it's the same thing. When you first pick it up and you start playing, your fingers hurt like crazy until calluses are formed, until there is perseverance developed. And it's no different in our faith. And I think there are some here this morning who are experiencing stagnation in their faith because every time there's opposition and opportunities for growth, we do everything we can to turn the other way. Going back to some of those examples that we talked about earlier, you're in that young adult season of life 
And instead of, of holding to your conviction and not sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or sleeping around or going out with your buddies and getting drunk or doing that drug, instead of not doing those things in that moment, there's the tension that happens in what seems like a second. And we think, you know what? It's gonna be easier just to say yes and endure the consequences of feeling guilt and shame than say no and endure mocking and ridicule. And so you give in. And you don't allow the perseverance and maturity to be developed in your life and in your faith. Parents, some of you, you have a conviction of like, you know what, that show or that music or that electronic device just isn't good for my kid. But every moment, where there might be opposition as a result of that decision, you decide it's gonna be easier to just let them do that than have to face the consequences. And instead of allowing perseverance of your faith to be grown and developed, we compromise. And we don't ever see that persecution turn into an opportunity for growth and maturity. That James would tell us that as we undergo this sort of growth that we are left lacking nothing but instead we tend to compromise on our conviction. And rather than being persecuted for the sake of Christ and suffering for the sake of Christ, we give in to what culture would tell us and we see the stagnation happen in our faith. Instead of sharing the gospel and praying with someone in your life, you don't wanna be perceived as weird, so you just let it go by. And we miss an opportunity for our faith to grow. We have to reckon with this question. What do we value more in our life? Growing in the character of Jesus or living the most comfortable and pain-free life as possible? What do we value more? Because what we value more, we will see how our decisions are shaped and formed. And I think there are times in our life where we want to believe like, no, I desire Christ to be formed in us. But then when we look at some of our decision-making and the patterns of our decisions, it's pretty evident that we want a comfortable life. And there's nothing wrong with times of comfort and times of peace. I love those seasons of life. They're incredible and the more I follow Jesus, unfortunately, the more fleeting they seem to be. But we must reckon with that and we must value what is being produced in us in times of persecution and suffering and hardship more than we value what is happening around us and even to us. We must value that more. First Peter chapter one. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter understood the value of growing in the character of Jesus. And he tells us that it is even more worthy and beneficial and worth more than even gold. That's the mindset that allows us to not only expect persecution and suffering for the sake of Christ, but when it shows up in our life, we can walk through the season because we know that what is being produced in us is the most valuable thing that we can possibly possess. Point two, we must understand that persecution and suffering produces growth. And finally, point three, the persecution and suffering we face pales in comparison to the reward that we will receive. If you were here last week, Pastor Spencer preached an entire sermon on this very point, 
So I won't remitigate all that he said in that message, but I think that revisiting that in light of our conversation this morning is so critical. I hope that you haven't heard me say that the gospel of Jesus is, is all of a sudden not so good news. Because I think that might be the tendency when we see, maybe for the first time, that, oh man, this faith that I'm signing up for actually isn't just all rainbows and butterflies, but there's challenges that are going to be before me. Maybe the gospel isn't as good as I thought it was. If that's going through your mind, let me stop that thought right now and tell you and reassure you that the gospel is even better than you could ever hope and imagine that the gospel of Jesus Christ would tell us that Christ himself emptied himself and came down to earth to reconcile those who had once been enemies of God back to himself. That Jesus would have done this through his sinless life, through his atoning death, and through his resurrection. And not this is not some sort of gift that's given out on meritocracy that says, you know what, you've earned this and you haven't. This is a free gift from God that is given to anyone who believes that Jesus is their Messiah. This is the gospel, and it is better news than you could ever hope to believe or imagine. It is true, it is good, and it is so what our souls are longing for. And even in light of the best news that we can possibly receive, there are times and seasons in our life where if we lack an eternal perspective, we will waver in our faith. There are times where we must endure hardship and persecution and suffering for the sake of Christ. And if we do not understand some of the words that Jesus has given his followers, rather than perseverance and growth, we will find doubt and questioning. If we are so concerned about our momentary circumstances and what's happening around us, often in our faith, it will be so difficult to find perseverance and joy because our circumstances are difficult. Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that we will, will be revealed in us. That Paul's talking about the suffering that the body of Christ is enduring and his encouragement to them is telling them that the suffering, while it is real and while it is painful, does not compare to that which will be revealed and developed in us. It's real. Persecution and suffering for the sake of Christ and hardships and trials are difficult, but they are worth it. They are worth it because we do not do these things in vain, but Christ would produce something so beautiful in us. If you ever need a little pick-me-up in your faith, I'd encourage you to go read the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 specifically. It's called the Hall of Faith, and in this chapter, there's just lists of people who like lived awesome, faith-filled lives for the sake of the gospel, many of whom had to endure a lot of hardship and persecution as a result of that faith. But man, it just, it stirs something up in me. It's like hearing that motivational speech where you're like, kill, I'm ready to run through a wall now. Let's, like, let's, let's go, let's go do this. Hebrews 11, verse 24 says this, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. If you're not familiar with the story of Moses, Moses uh, would have been counted as the grandson of Pharaoh as a result of some of his life circumstances and what was happening in Egypt around that time. So he would have been the grandson of perhaps the most powerful man in all of the world. 
He would have been the grandson of the man who commanded the most rich kingdom in all of the world, that anything he wanted would have been his at the drop of a hat. And yet, it says that he considered and regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than all of the treasures of Egypt. How? Because he was looking ahead to his reward. He knew that what Christ is doing in him and what Christ will ultimately allow him to experience, sitting at his feet, experiencing eternal rest, has no way that it can be measured against the hardships and suffering that I would face. That we must lift our eyes in, often in our life to the goodness that Christ has promised us as we endure momentary hardship and suffering. And instead of being overwhelmed and consumed by what's happening around us, that our gaze would lift similar to Stephen's in Acts 7. Rather than focus on the hardship he endured of being stoned to death, he looked up and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God and declared, Father, forgive them. Because he knew what was his in Christ and he knew the eternal hope that Christ has sealed up for him. There is so much that we experience in this life as followers of Jesus that is good and beautiful. There's so much. And some of the good news for us, I know I'm often encouraged of it, especially when I find myself in a season of hardship, is remembering that the difficulty and hardship I suffer now is going to be as bad as it will ever get. That as you face persecution and suffering and hardship and trial in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, that is as close to hell as you will ever get. Because his work, his promise, his commitment is that he has gone before us to prepare a room in my father's house, that you will be in paradise with him. And if we can focus on that eternal reality as we experience hardship and suffering, I believe that that will help us again to begin to reorient our minds around how persecution might lead to a life of blessedness. Ben, you can come on up. I hope that at some point this morning, you found some encouragement I know that talking about persecution and suffering is, again, not the most happy-go-lucky thing that we could talk about. But as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, as we conclude our view here of the Beatitudes, we desire to be a church that doesn't just pick out a few verses in Scripture that make it look like our life is going to be easy. We want to be committed to Jesus. And we believe that part of what it means to be committed to Jesus is that we're committed to his word. And so we're gonna look and press into the difficult and challenging things that might not make us feel as good because we believe that Christ has called us to it. So this morning, my hope is that through one of these three points that you have begun to understand how men and women across all of time and history have lived lives similar to Pastor Lamb, that they can see persecution and suffering and that they can rejoice and my hope would be that whether a shift of perspective and understanding that we should expect persecution to happen in our life as followers of Jesus, maybe that's been an encouragement to you. Maybe to some of us, we need to understand and we need to repent and ask the Lord to strengthen our faith so that we can stand firm in our convictions at times and moments in our life when persecution comes so that we can see the perseverance and endurance and maturity of our faith be developed in us. Or maybe for some of us, 
it comes down to the fact that when we experience persecution and hardship and suffering in our life, we are so consumed by our circumstances that we forget to reflect on the eternal reward that is promised us in Christ Jesus. That we would lift our eyes to see what he has done for us and what he promises as a result. Going back to the late John Stott, he said, how does Jesus expect his disciples to react under persecution? To rejoice and be glad. We are not to retaliate like an unbeliever, nor sulk like a child, nor lick our wound and self-pity like a dog, nor just grin and bear it like a stoic, still less we pretend to enjoy it like a masochist. He just lists all these other ways of thinking and all these other philosophies that would tell us, hey, this is how you should react to persecution and suffering. And he's saying that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, none of those ways are what Christ would call us to. What then, John asks, we are to rejoice as a Christian should and even leap for joy. I know that it's so difficult to somehow begin to consider persecution and blessedness as friends and not enemies. But the scriptures tell us, Jesus would command us that there is a purpose. And even if it is coming through a mechanism and through some sort of channel that, that is unfair, guess what? Jesus said that that's gonna happen. Even if what's being said about us or we're being accused of isn't true, guess what? We should not be surprised. And as we learn to sit with that and instead of seeing it as an unwelcomed reality in our life, we begin to see it as an opportunity, we can see that Christ is in it. That's one of the most beautiful things I think about the Christian faith is how it takes suffering something that is meant, as, as, as Joseph would tell his brothers in, in Genesis 50, that what you intended for evil, God uses for good. That we might be on the receiving end of lies, of ridicule, of mocking, of something that is so evil and intended to tear us down. But God is so good that that very thing, those very words that are spoken with hatred and the attempt of, of killing the joy inside of us, God would say, you know what? I'm gonna use that. And I'm gonna use that to produce maturity and perseverance and endurance in your faith and you will be stronger because of it. Because guess what? If they hated me, if they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you also. They're gonna hate you also. This does not mean that we should go looking for persecution. Life is as difficult as it is without going and looking for more trouble. Don't go look for it. It's gonna find you eventually. But when it does, how do we respond? How do we embrace this reality and this truth that Jesus says is an inevitability in our life? As with so many other examples in our faith, we're gonna to look to Jesus. Where else could we look? As Peter would say, where else would we go, Lord? And so we're gonna take communion together during this last song of worship. And if you have communion, you can get that ready. There's communion available at the sides of the room as well if you didn't get one as you came into the room. And as we prepare for communion, my hope and my prayer would be that we would have a time to reflect on the work of Jesus. 
because I know that persecution and suffering again are so difficult and hard to endure and often confusing of, wait, Lord, if you love me, why is this happening to me in my life? But let us not forget that the greatest gift ever given came through persecution and suffering. That the reason why Christ can say, you will be with me in paradise is because he endured persecution and suffering in hardships in ways in which we will never begin to understand and we cannot even begin to fathom. He endured it for our sake so that we might be reconciled back to God. So I'm gonna read a couple of scriptures and then we're gonna close in one song of worship. And as the band plays this last song, I would just consider and ask of you to consider and reflect upon the true meaning of Jesus's suffering for your sake. Here's a few scriptures found in Hebrews 12 and 1 Peter that I just wanna read over you. That fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy that was set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. To this suffering, you too were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is our example. As we move into this last song, would you consider that beautiful example of Jesus? And as the author of Hebrews writes, consider him so that we would not lose heart in enduring hardship and persecution and suffering in our own life.